All right, we are in part two of our message series called Christmas Heroes. And um, in case you actually did miss last week, I would encourage you to go back and catch on our podcast or watch it online or on your computer or even on the app on your phone. Because last week, we talked about uh, two unsung heroes, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, and in the series, these heroes that we're talking about, all of these heroes were present that first Christmas Eve, and they helped set the stage for the birth of Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to shift gears just a little bit. Uh, I don't want to talk about a hero, but instead, I want to talk of, about a villain. Because here's the thing, you can't have heroes if you don't also have villains. And so today, we're going to talk about the, a villain that was present that very first Christmas season, and really, probably the most evil villain in the entire Bible outside of Satan himself. And so this villain is so evil, honestly, it's, this villain is rarely mentioned when it comes to the Christmas story because the truth is, not very popular with the kids. So, um, and I, you'll see why as we get going. Uh, but here's the thing, to ignore this villain and pretend like he's just not there is to do so at our peril. Because evil, left unchecked, grows until it becomes so encompassing that it's almost impossible to get it back under control again. And the same is true in, with this villain, and the same is true for us. If we don't allow our Heavenly Father to make sure that this villain doesn't get under control in our own lives, because it can happen to a lesser degree, but it can happen. Because look, here's the thing. I've been a part of Christmas dinners, Christmas gatherings, uh, Christmas family events that have been ruined, ruined by the presence of this villain. And it's happened more than once. I've been a part of more than one that has been ruined. And here's the thing, it's not just Christmases that get ruined. This villain ruins marriages, families, careers, companies, even governments. Because again, left unchecked, evil grows until it becomes so encompassing that it's almost impossible to get it back under control again. So, let's talk about this villain. Um, we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2. Now, let me set the stage for what's going on here so you kind of get you caught up. Jesus has already been born. Um, the... Magi, wise men, have come from the Far East. They've traveled months and many hundreds of miles to see the baby Jesus and a star has been guiding them in the night sky the whole way. They show up on that very first Christmas Eve. Now, scholars would say that the wise men showed up somewhere six months to a year after Jesus has been born. Okay? Now, Hallmark and people that sell nativities would say it was that night, okay? But the truth is, it doesn't really matter for the sake of our discussion today. But the point is, Jesus has already been born. And so that's where we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2. So look at there in your sermon notes, or if you have your own Bible and you want to read in your Bible, that's perfectly fine. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now I want you to underline this, underline, and all Jerusalem with him. Now let's pause, let's talk about that underlined part just for a second. Because it sounds a little bit odd. I mean, now we can understand why Herod might be disturbed because, you know, like, here's this child who's been born in his region that's supposed to be the next king. Well, Herod's not ready to give up his kingdom, and so that might cause him some stress. But why would it disturb all the other people in the city of Jerusalem? Well, here's why. Part of the reason you need to understand is that Herod had a reputation for being incredibly cruel. Incredibly cruel. In fact, here's a few things that you can go and fact check on your own if you want to. All right? But they're all true, I promise. King Herod, at one time, felt threatened by his own sons, that his sons maybe wanted to take over his kingdom before he was ready to give it up. So he had all three of his sons brought before him and executed. Killed all three of his sons. Another time, after Herod had gone to Rome, when he returned, he heard an unsubstantiated rumor that his wife had been unfaithful to him while he was gone. So he executed the man that was a part of the accused and his wife because he felt threatened. Early in Herod's reign, when he was first getting started, he didn't feel like the nobility of the region were supporting him like he felt like they should. So he brought all the nobility together and he executed the 45 wealthiest and you know, most noble families or people in the region and took all of their wealth and all of their lands and gave it to Rome. Well, as you can imagine, the rest of the nobility quickly fell in line and began to recognize Herod as the rightful ruler of the region. So my, my point is this. Herod was incredibly cruel and would do whatever it took to protect what was his. So when the Bible says that Herod was disturbed, it's no surprise that the rest of the Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Because when Herod got disturbed, people died. So, verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet was, has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in, Jerusalem, in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. All right, so now that we've read the story, let's get to our first fill in the morning. Okay, the first fill is this, is that the villain of this story is pride. I know, you thought I was going to say King Herod, right? I know, I baited you for that, so it's okay if you thought that. But it's not King Herod as much as it is the pride of King Herod. Because it was King, look, it's King Herod's pride that led him to do all those cruel things, including the genocide of every male child two years old and under in the vicinity of Bethlehem. And he did it all to protect his little kingdom in this little corner of the world. Look, and here's the thing. For us, pride is our villain too. Because here's the thing. There's a little bit of Herod in each one of us. There's a little bit of Herod in each one of us. It, it, it's the kind of pride that, that builds you up and puts you on a pedestal and tears other people off of theirs. That's the kind of pride we're talking about. Now, it, I'm not talking about the kind of pride that, you know, where you're proud of your son for scoring a touchdown, or you're proud of your daughter because she's valedictorian. That's not pri- that pride I'm talking about. We're not talking about that kind of pride because that's just being excited for something good that happens in another person's life. I'm not talking about the kind of pride where I'm just, I'm proud of a job well done. Unless, of course, that it points back to you instead of pointing on at the job. The kind of pride we're talking about is the pride that most of us deal with, that most of us struggle with. It's the pride that builds us up. It's the pride that feeds that thing in us that just wants to self-promote. It's, a, it's that thing that feeds us that, and where we want to put ourselves higher and pull other people lower. That's the kind of pride that all of us struggle with. And it can be, it can be proud, proud about anything. It can be you know, pride in how we look. It can be prideful in how we act or how smart we are or how athletic we are or how well-known we are or how popular we are or how much we have or what we've acquired or our position or a title or a name or a family name or whatever. But whatever it is that we're proud of that feeds that thing within us, that is our real enemy. That's really the villain. And here's the thing. Pride is sometimes really hard to see in ourselves. For instance, I remember back in the early days of Parkway Fellowship, it was just, you know, me, Chris, and Pat, uh, I remember uh, sitting around a table talking about the fact that pride would be the one thing that would tear our church apart because it would tear us apart from the inside out. And so we said, we got to do whatever it takes to make sure that we combat pride. And so we started talking about the things that we could do to combat pride and to cultivate humility in our lives. And so, you know, periodically we would come back and we would talk about what we were doing to remain humble. Well, I remember one time we were talking about this and I thought, holy cow, 
I am bragging about what I'm doing to stay humble. I am now become proud of my own humility. And so therefore, I'm no longer humble, because, but I'm proud. Ah! I mean, I just, because you can't win. Because here's the thing. Sometimes you just can't see it in yourself. It's hard to diagnose. It's hard to see. But I'm telling you, it's a villain nonetheless because left unchecked, pride grows until it becomes so encompassing that it's almost impossible to get it back under control again. So, what do we learn about pride from this story? And what are some specifics from Herod's example and how villainous pride can be in our lives and how God might want to combat that in ours? So, when King Herod gives in to pride, here I want you to write this down. When he gives in to pride, number one is this. He can't see the signs God sends his way. When he gives in to pride, he can't see the signs God sends his way. What signs did God send his way? Well, first off, he sent three magi, three wise men, three rulers from the far east to come and proclaim this child has been born king. I mean, that's a pretty big sign. Second sign was that God had sent a star to guide these wise men to where the child will be born. And so Herod not miss, didn't miss just one sign, but he missed two signs. He missed two signs that could have led Herod to become the first monarch ever to worship at the feet of Jesus. But it didn't happen. And had it happened that way, Herod would, remember, would be remembered far differently than he is remembered today. But the reason it didn't happen is because Herod's pride was so big that it eclipsed the signs that God sent. It eclipsed them. Herod couldn't see it. And so instead, Herod misinterprets the signs as threats to his own existence. And here's the thing. If we're not careful, our pride can cause us to misinterpret signs that God sends to us as well. Because here's the thing. God sends certain events in our lives to cause us to turn to him, to try to get us to return to him. And to put him in his proper place in our lives. But sometimes our pride can eclipse those signs and we misinterpret them. Let me give you an example. For instance, let's, let's take something that's happened recently in our own community. Hurricane Harvey. I have met people that in our own church that have taken the whole thing as Hurricane Harvey as a sign from God. And they have, their response has been, I have learned that this world is not my home. This world is not my home. All this stuff, I realize now, is just stuff. And that's all it is. It has no hold on me any longer. Because heaven is my true home. On the flip side, there have been other people who have taken that very same sequence of events... And instead, they have become so angry and so mad at God for what's happened, or they become so saddened and depressed about their loss that they have pushed God at, at, away and kept him at arm's length. Basically, what they have said is, if that is what God has done, 
I don't want to have anything to do with him. Which basically, that's what Herod did. Herod said, if this is what God has done by sending another ruler into this area to, to usurp me, if that is what God has done, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And so there's people that take the very same event, but they interpret the signs very different ways, often because they view it as a threat to their own existence. When in reality, God wants to use it as a sign to draw people closer to him. And the only thing that keeps us from viewing it the way God wants is our own pride. So, what, are, what should our response be? Write this down. My response simply should be this. Should be to ask the Lord for what he's trying to tell me. Just ask God. God, what are you trying to tell me? And then be open to it. See, sometimes, sometimes we don't even know we've gotten off track. We don't even know that our pride has sidelined us. We don't even know it. And so whenever something happens in your life, an event or um, a circumstance, and it, that, that you think, why in the world does this happen? God, what is going on here? If there's anything like that that's really out of the ordinary, use that as a sign from God and ask him, God, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to teach me here, Lord? I'm telling you, it will change how you view that event because it puts your pride aside and says, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? All right, here's the second thing we get from Herod. When Herod becomes prideful, number two, he's more interested in protecting what is his than worshiping who is sent. He's more interested in protecting what is his than in worshiping who is sent. See, Herod's more worshiping, more, more concerned about protecting his throne than worshiping the one who gave up his to come to this earth. And in order to protect what was his, he orders the death of every male child two years old and under, in the vicinity of Bethlehem. All because of his pride. Um, when you were a kid, did you, ever play the, did you ever play game King of the Mountain? Anybody ever played King of the Mountain before? Yeah, I mean, we played that as a kid too. And the, the, look, the rules are as simple as the game is rough, right? You climb to the top, throw off anybody that is there, and then you protect it by throwing off anybody who dares to challenge you. I mean, that's the game. That's the king of the mountain. And here's the thing. That exact scenario plays out every day in classrooms, boardrooms, companies, schools, universities, homeowners associations, (laughs) all over the country every single day. People have something. They scratch a claw to get at the top, and then they do whatever they have to to protect what is theirs. Now, here's the thing about King of the Mountain. If you want to be king, someone has to suffer. If you want to be king, someone has to suffer. That's what happened with King Herod. That's what happens in the kids' game. And that's what happens in life when you feel like you have to do whatever it takes to protect what is yours. So what's the solution? 
Because all of that stripped down to its base is just simply pride. I'm protecting what's mine. So what, what, is the, what would be the response? What would be the solution to that? Well, our response is simple. And it should have been Herod's response. My response is to regularly worship Jesus. Regularly worship Jesus. And I know that might seem like a bit of a disconnect of, well, what does one have to do with the other? Well, here's the deal. When you regularly worship Jesus, you know what that does? That puts you in your proper place and puts Jesus in his. Isn't that true? It puts you in your proper place and it puts Jesus in his. Because you realize, you really worship Jesus, you realize you are a part of a much bigger kingdom. So instead of trying to worry about how do I protect my little kingdom in my little corner of the world, I realize I'm a part of a much bigger kingdom, a much more important kingdom than anything that I have that I could possibly protect. I mean, look, think about King Herod. Look, if it wasn't for the birth of Jesus, you wouldn't even know who Herod was. He would be a footnote in a history book somewhere as a ruler in the first century in the Middle East. You don't even know who he was. And here he was doing everything good to try to protect and build a name for himself that would amount to nothing except for Jesus. Look, same's true for you. You can do all you can to protect your little kingdom that you're building in your little corner of the world. But here's the thing, if it doesn't matter in the light of eternity, it won't be remembered anyway. So in your arrogance and pride, don't allow that to become so consuming for you. Instead, worship Jesus. So look, when you come, that's why it's important when you come into church on Sunday, like, you just don't sit here with your arms crossed just daring somebody to ask you to sing. No! Man, you worship Jesus. Look, here's the true story. We have the music turned up a little bit louder than we need to in this room. Part of the reason why we do that is because we had a discussion in staff meeting one day that, Mike, your voice is so bad, it distracts all the people around you. So we're going to turn up the volume a little bit for the sake of the other people. No, seriously, that was a discussion. And so you know what that means? That means, first off, you don't have to listen to me sing. Second is, if you're not a good singer like me, you're protected. Like, it's okay. Like, you can sing because nobody else is going to hear you. But Jesus will. He'll hear you. He'll see your heart. And he'll realize that your heart is more full of him than it is of pride. So regularly worship Jesus. Because it lets you know that you're a part of something bigger than you ever thought before. All right, last one. Let's bring it home. Here it is. In Herod's pride, number three, he becomes the first person to reject Christ. He becomes the first person in recorded history to officially reject Jesus. And it's all because of his pride. And so here's my encouragement to you. Don't be the next person to reject him. Don't be the next person to reject Jesus. See, look, Jesus came to this earth so he could provide a relationship with God to you. So you can have a relationship with your heavenly father. And in order for that to happen, Jesus took away the one thing that prevents you from having a relationship with God, and that is your sin. That's why Jesus died on a cross, to take away your sin. 
So for all of us, there's a twofold response here. The first response is this, is that I need to accept Christ into my life. I need to accept Christ into my life. If you've never accepted Jesus, look, Jesus died on a cross so that his death could pay the price for your sin so you wouldn't have to. Now look, if you've already accepted Christ, you don't have to do it again. You've already accepted it. But if you haven't accepted Christ, that's where you need to start. Because that's where everybody has to start. Everybody has to accept Christ. And so you accept Jesus into your life. You say, Jesus, I need to accept your forgiveness for all of my sin. And I want you to come live in my life and be a part of me from this point forward. If you've never done that, there's a prayer. It's in your message notes. I'm going to take a second. I want you to pray that right now. Now, if you've already prayed that before, then your response is the second one. The second response is this, is that I need to follow Christ with my life. I need to follow Christ with my life because, look, here's the thing. Here's what I've noticed, that once people have accepted Christ, for pretty much everybody, there comes a season on down the road where the commitment to follow Christ wanes. And when it wanes, we tend to live for ourselves. We tend to do what we want to do. We tend to act how we want to act. We tend to spend what we want to spend. We tend to behave how we want to behave. And it all serves us. Look, stripped away, that is essentially pride. It's just pride. And so what Jesus asks us to do is to get back to a place where we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take up my cross daily and follow you. I'm going to get back to where I say, okay, God, not my will, but your will be done. It's putting to death the things that I want so I can live for the way that you want. When was the last time you did that? I would encourage you, do it today. Make a commitment today to follow Jesus with your life. Because anything else, anything else is the role of a villain, not a hero. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Father, I'm, I'm not going to say thank you for Herod. Because the truth is, uh, he was the epitome of evil. But Father, I will say thank you that you point out that example to us of what not to do and how you have so much better in store for us. So Father, I ask that you would help us to not miss the signs that you, when you draw us to yourself, help us to regularly worship Jesus and to follow him with our lives because he is great. And as Christmas draws closer with each passing day, that we would look forward not to the, the presents and the bows and the packages and the, and the shopping and the family and the gifts and the, and the giving, and, but instead we would look forward more and more to celebrating the one who brought life into our lives, and that's Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.